Good morning. morning. How's everyone doing this morning? I need to tell you that I am very encouraged this morning. Um, It's a great Sunday morning because I've had a couple bright spots in the last uh, couple weeks for me. I just got back from a conference from the Chalmers Foundation in uh, Dallas, Texas. Kevin and I and some members of our outreach team went down. And Chalmers Foundations are the ones that are responsible for publishing the book, uh, When Helping Hurts. And if you haven't read that book, I'd highly recommend that you do. Um, The reason why I'm so encouraged is because Christians from around North America, evangelicals, are coming um, together, redefining poverty, how we look at poverty, how we look at God's kingdom and the gospel, um, how we look at ourselves, uh, relationship with God, others, and creation, because we were born for relationship. And um, when we look at this heavy topic, this topic that we need to get into, um, it's all about relationship and development and walking the road with them. And I'm really looking forward. We're going to talk about that in the next couple months. And that just goes hand in hand with the gospel, what the gospel is all about, what Jesus came uh, to talk about. So that was a bright spot in my week. And I need to tell you that I really needed that because I don't know about you guys. But when I wake up in the morning and I look at the news feed and I see the news, I'm like just, I shrug my shoulders and like, again, what's going on? Things are swirling around. There's all kinds of different voices in the culture. There's all kinds of things that are happening. The uh, political um, landscape, I don't even know what to call this, uh, this election process. All I know is that Terry and I went away for 10 years to outer Mongolia and we came back and look at what you guys did, Yeah. <laughs> We're thinking about going back. <laughs> yep. But um, it is a mess, and things are confusing, and things are swirling. And if that wasn't enough, there are a couple signs that maybe are actually confirming for me in my mind that we are in the midst of the end times. The end times are nigh. They're coming. Um, the two signs that uh, have just confirmed for me that this is a real possibility the Vikings are 5-0, and oh, and the Chicago Cubs are going to the World Series, yeah? Cubs win! Cubs win! What's next? I'm expecting locusts, yeah? That's the next thing. But these are confusing times. Things are swirling around. Evangelicals don't know how to answer um, culture, the things that are coming up. And I think what's happening is we are seeing real distinct, clear lines between kingdoms of this earth and the, kingdoms of, and the kingdom of God. What do we do when we go out into a culture where they support our values less and less, where we increasingly feel marginalized? Today is Global Outreach Sunday. And I am encouraged again, and you should be encouraged too, because we have a lot to learn from the global church. Because the global church is not in the political majority. The church around the world and the countries that we're going to be talking about, they're not in the moral majority. So what does the church around the world do when they see persecution in their everyday lives? They see a very distinct line between the kingdoms of this earth and the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. How are our brothers and sisters in China responding? How are they responding in Ethiopia, in Peru, in Mongolia, in Poland? When they wake up and they face politicians on a daily basis actively trying to shut down their facilities, their churches, when they are forced to pray and worship in secret, how do they respond? 
When they walk outside the church doors or their homes and they're faced with overwhelmingly extreme poverty, how are our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world responding with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And God is blessing the global church. We're seeing literally thousands of people coming to Christ around the world on a daily basis. Why? Because the world does see this, the difference, the distinct line between the gospel, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and what is happening on earth, and there's hope. Because the power of the gospel is showing up. The gospel is the only thing that restores broken lives. It's the only thing that gives hope to those who don't have hope. So if you're here this morning and you're feeling overwhelmed by some of the things that are happening this year in 2016 in North America, I want to tell you that there is hope. We are the church. We're God's hands and feet. There's power. Our mandate is ever before us. And we just need to remember our mandate. What is the mandate of the church? To proclaim and manifest the gospel. So when I get confused, when things start swirling around and culture brings up a question that I'm not quite sure how to respond to, I go back to the Gospels. I go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I spend time in the Gospels, and I read what Jesus said, and I look at how he lived. That's the only way I, want, I know how to do it. So this morning, as we start talking about our response to culture, I want to ask a question, one question. What is the Gospel? More specifically, what is the gospel that Jesus preached? Because we're going to be unpacking this through this series, and I'm excited about it. This morning, we're going to focus on Jesus and the gospel. The gospel, as you know, in the New Testament, when they talk about good news, that's what the gospel is, right? What is the context? What is Jesus talking about when he talks about the gospel? Why did Jesus come? This sounds like a fairly simple question, but I think why evangelicals are struggling, why there's so much stress and anxiety, particularly this year, that's come out, is because in North America, and we've been hearing it, and we've been comparing notes, we really do have different answers to this question. We have different answers to what the gospel is. We have different answers to why Jesus came. So I ask you to think about this morning. What did Jesus say? Why did Jesus say he was sent here? Mark 1.15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Believe the gospel. So once Jesus has chosen his disciples, he adopts a strategy, one strategy to communicate his message to everybody that he could. And this is it. We're going to read through a series of verses to establish Jesus' gospel. Luke 8.1. After this, Jesus traveled around from one town to another, proclaiming the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. When he sent out his disciples preaching this, on their preaching mission, this was it. Luke 9.1. When Jesus called the twelve together, he gave them the power and authority to drive out all the demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. Luke 4.42-44. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving, but he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. 
and he kept on preaching in the synagogue of Judea. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, because that is why I was sent. After Jesus rose, rose from the dead, and he comes back to the disciples and the followers that are gathered together, he spoke to them about one topic. Acts 1, 3. He appeared to them. This is after the resurrection. Over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Acts 28, 31. The very last glimpse we have of the church, the early church, is this. The very last verse of the last chapter is Apostle Paul in Rome, in chains. Paul is proclaiming one truth. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God. So this morning, if you were going to say Jesus' gospel, if you could sum it up in one phrase, what would that phrase be? The kingdom of God. That is Jesus' gospel. More specifically, the good news, the gospel, the only gospel that Jesus came to proclaim is this, that the kingdom of God, God's power and presence and reign has now become available to ordinary people like you and me. All we have to do is decide to walk in. Anybody can. That's the only gospel Jesus ever preached. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe good news. That's in the introductory passages of Mark's gospel, Mark's writing. And that summarizes his whole gospel. That's Jesus' gospel, the groundwork taken care of. Jesus came to manifest the reality of the kingdom of God. And all this work that God's been doing with the people of Israel to set the stage, undertaking everything that is happening, what life is about, has reached its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Jesus' death and resurrection is the fulfillment of the gospel and the power to bring God's kingdom here and now. Jesus, in his earthly life, showed us, modeled for us, what the gospel the kingdom, what this life looks like. His miracles aren't done just to simply impress everybody. They were done to manifest the reality and the nature of the kingdom of God in this world. To manifest the kingdom, what is the ultimate manifestation? Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead. That's Jesus' gospel. That's the kingdom. As I've been studying uh, the life of Jesus, and particularly his teachings on the kingdom, there are three tenets, I think, of our faith in the gospel, our faith in this kingdom life. Three overarching characteristics that you see in Jesus' life and that he actually teaches about, that he preaches about in the Sermon on the Mount, that he prays for uh, in the Upper Room Discourse in John 17, and that's humility, compassion, and death to self. If we had to sum up what kingdom life looks like now, how people are going to see the kingdom, it would be those three characteristics. Everything else flows out of those. Humility. What does it look like in the kingdom of God? Well, we see lots of passages where Jesus came to teach about this. I want to focus on one passage in Matthew 18. Because the disciples come to Jesus and they ask a question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And of course, they have their own kind of presuppositions, and I think Jesus is going to answer one way, because they have the experience with earthly kingdoms, and you look at the context, that's exactly what they want Jesus to answer. But Jesus in Matthew 18 answers this, whoever humbles himself 
like a little child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's a surprising answer. And when we look at this text, we often talk about, yes, it's the innocence of the hearts of the children that come, trusting and full faith. Yes, that's true. But Jesus also talks about this for another reason. The reason they chooses the children is because in that society, they're the lowest on the totem pole. They're the ones that don't have status at all. That kind of flips things around for us when we talk about the meek and the humble and the poor spirit. When you go back to the Beatitudes, the opening of Jesus' sermon on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, he says the kingdom is going to come through all these things. And the first one is blessed are the poor in spirit. And he goes on and talks about the meek and the humble. And he talks about a way of life, the way of life of the kingdom. There's an obstacle to kingdom living. And I think if we're honest this morning, all of us, can recognize this within ourselves because this is human nature. Pride is an obstacle to kingdom living. We all want status. We all want credit. We all want the focus on ourselves. True humility is difficult. So how does humility play out in kingdom life, in the gospel? What do humble people look like in kingdom? As we look through the New Testament... Even the Old Testament, in this kingdom life, we see it manifested in people that we know. Humble people just delight in finding ways to serve others. They delight in seeing others grow. And I look at Luke chapter 14, where Jesus talks about the kingdom as this one big banquet where everybody's welcome. And I think to myself, how cool would it be? To live in a place where there are no big shots, there are no celebrities, nobody else lords it over anybody. And more importantly, there are no nobodies. When we were in Mongolia, I met a woman and I got real confused because the introduction, I introduced myself and her response to me, I thought she was telling me her name. She said Tanakwi, which means... You don't know me. I have no name. So her name was no name. She had no identity. She was the lowest of the low. But I think of that banquet in Luke 14, and I think about how the blind and the lame and the crippled and the excluded, the misfits, all the rejected are there with us. There are no nobodies. There's no status, and it's beautiful. It's one community, utterly loving, inclusive, humbly living together. That's the picture of our beautiful kingdom of God. I'd like to invite Dick Augustine up. He's uh, the chair of our global uh, commission. He and I had the privilege to serve around the world in a lot of variety of contexts. And uh, when you work in ministry like that, you just uh, get forged in eternity um, with uh, someone. Dick, we've wept together. We've rejoiced together. You're my brother. Um, It's a privilege. We've been to Ethiopia. And one of the things that struck me um, just in Ethiopia where he talked about the poor in spirit and the meek and those without serving. I mean, we have, we've seen the face of this. And why don't you tell us a little bit about Meritage and how this has actually played out. As George and I talked about, what does the entering into the kingdom of God look like in everyday life? What does it look like uh, here on earth? Just before I share that story, I just want to say as well, <clears throat> George is one of my dearest friends, closest brother in Christ. And uh, you've already touched my heart this morning. And uh, just by sharing, and you can tell 
as he talks and as he shares the uh, the walling of emotion that comes up as he as he talks about this woman who had nothing and no name so he has a heart and a spirit that I love being around and I've learned much from you George um, as we talked about how do, how do we how do we display humility in a story my mind was drawn immediately to to one story and to call it a story is really kind of a misnomer because it's it's not a story it's the reality of somebody living her life out for Jesus Christ. And I have a picture of her here. I'd like to show that to you. Her name is Meritich, and she's a dear friend of mine. I've gotten to know her over the last three years. When Meritich married her husband, Tadesi, who you also see there, uh, her very close-knit Christian family was vehemently opposed to her marrying Tadesi. And they were vehemently opposed, not because he was a bad man, not because he abused her, not because he was of a different faith. They were vehemently opposed because he had chosen to be a pastor in Ethiopia, a third world country where the average monthly income is less than $30 a month. And pastors are the lowest on that rung. And so they were concerned for her. But Meritich followed her heart, and she followed what she believed God was leading her uh, to do, and she married Tadessa. And they began serving in a, in a rural area of Ethiopia. And the poverty came, and they were so poor, and there was so little food for them that when um, it came time for Meritich to give birth to their second child, they had no money, no food. She was so undernourished that she was not able to produce milk to feed her child. And yet they persevered. And in spite of the hardship, they were living out the gospel that George is talking about. She couldn't explain a lot of theology, but I don't, don't think she had to. She was living it out. I'd ask you to fast forward 12 years to today. The picture you see of Meritich was taken last June when we were there. Mary Lou and I were there and Dave and Carol Otteson and, and had some sweet times with Meritich and Tedeschi. God was faithful to them and blessed them. That daughter that uh, she could not feed is now a thriving 12-year-old beautiful young lady. Meritich and Tedeschi have reconciled with uh, her family after many years and they now love Tedeschi dearly. So God was faithful. About six years ago, they moved to the capital city of Addis Ababa and joined a small church that uh, is uh, called Gotera Church. That's the name of the area. You may not know it, but we are a partner, a sister church with this little church that looks pretty dismal and bleak with just a dirt uh, courtyard, corrugated roof. It houses a church of less than 300 people, but they have had a tremendous impact, powerful impact on the unbelievably poverty-stricken community that they have chosen intentionally to serve in. And uh, I don't like to show a lot of pictures of, of human suffering just for the sake of showing them, but this gives you some small idea of the communities around the church. Um, many of the people live in uh, neighborhoods like this, and I think one more there, uh, this woman is living there in basically what we would call a shack or a, or a hovel. And as Meritich and Tedesi moved into uh, this church, he was there as a pastor, again, still very poorly uh, paid. Meritich, out of her own pain and hardship and remembering what she had gone through when she had no food, 
she was drawn to the women of this community. And she reached out to the least of the least, George was talking about. Vulnerable, many of them widows, no way to support their children, struggling with hunger and inadequate medical care. And she reached out to them with a passion and a love and a caring that can only come from the power of Jesus Christ and someone who has experienced that kind of pain and that kind of hunger before. She has loved them. She has cried with them. She has taught them marketable crafts, how to plant small gardens so that they can feed their family. She has given them dignity. She has given them hope and a way to sustain themselves and their children. There is a group of them that she works with, and I chose to show this picture. They look, they're smiling. When these women first come to Meritich, their heads are bowed, their eyes, they will not make eye contact with you. They speak very softly. This is a group she's worked with for about, about two years, and they're now thriving. They've been able to uh, save a little bit of money, seven to eight cents a week is what she has taught them to save. Um, but because of that, they're able to live with some dignity. She is doing what God has put before her. It's not always pretty. It's not always glamorous. But she's doing it in humility. And she's stepped into the kingdom of God right where she is. We had planned to have uh, Meritich and uh, Tedessa here today. But they were unable to get their passports. And so they meet tomorrow morning with the embassy in Ethiopia to see if we can get a visa to bring them here in the middle of November. So I would ask you to be in prayer that God would show them favor as they, uh, they meet with the embassy so that we'll have a chance to introduce you to them uh, in, in person. And then with all the turmoil going on in Ethiopia, if you've been following the news, uh, it's a very difficult place to be right now. We canceled a trip in November. I was uh, due to go there in November. We're hoping to do that trip in February and then take a larger team from our church in June. So pray that things will stabilize in Ethiopia. So Dick, uh, we've had the privilege of meeting Meritech and some of the women uh, that are actually involved. Tell us uh, how the kingdom of God is entering into their lives. Tell, tell us how they've been uh, transformed. George was there with us last um, October and met these, some of these women and uh, Mike Murray had been with me when we met with the women and, and heard their stories. So many of them. Let me tell you two very, very, very quick stories. One woman had to give her um, son up to a government orphanage because she didn't have enough money to support and feed her son. And she was just grief-stricken over it. I had no hope and no place to turn, no place to go. And Meritich became aware of, of him, brought her into this group in the church, and the group just embraced her. They taught her the crafts that I was talking about so that she could make pennies a week and saved for almost two years until she was able to bring her son. Back home, and so with with the compassion and the humility that Meritich is is working with these women, she's impacting the kingdom of God in such powerful ways that we're not even uh, we can't even relate to some of them. Another woman lived in um, go back one uh, slide, Sarah. Another woman lived in one of these neighborhoods that I've shown you, and uh, her husband died. She was left penniless. She had no children. She was all alone. Her greatest, deepest fear was that she would die alone in her little shack with no family, no one to bury her. And again, Meritage stepped up. 
became aware of her plight, <clears throat> brought her into the group, and again, the group has become family to her. And as we were there, she shared with tears running down her eyes, I now have a family, and I now have someone to bury me. And uh, so again, with just this, this humble woman, Meritage, stepping into the kingdom of God, she's impacting many lives for the kingdom. Uh, why Zeta Free is taking part in helping these women. And let me spend just a moment. Uh, Sarah, if you jump, I think now, um, yeah, there, there's an uh, organization called Art to Heart. How many have ever been aware of Art to Heart? It's a wonderful, wonderful organization that provides materials and supplies for women in third world countries. This is actually a picture of the women in Peru that our church supports and works with. And teams that go from Wyzetta take these supplies to them and they make all kinds of crafts, pillowcases, whatever it might be, bring them back and we sell them here. And it gives them a chance to earn a living with dignity and pride. And so uh, Art to Heart, uh, that's all I'm going to say about them, but we had a shopping day there yesterday and they're giving some of the profits back to Global Outreach. We're doing that again next Saturday. Uh, I would encourage you, look Art to Heart, call the office, and just go shop there. They do a wonderful, wonderful work, not only in Peru, but now in Ethiopia. The women that I just talked about, we carried supplies from Art to Heart just last um, June, and those products will be coming back. So the other organization is someone called uh, Days for Girls. And very, very quickly, uh, around the world, mostly in third world countries, there are girls who miss five, six, seven days of school every single month because they don't have access to um, uh, feminine hygiene products. And so during that time, they have to stay home. They miss two months of school every year because of that. Days for Girls has come up with a little packet, packaged usually in very, very colorful um, little bags. And inside of this are uh, materials, rewashable, reusable, that will last for up to three years. It's life-changing for these girls and so we carried 100 of these with us last, um, to, uh, on our last trip, and they were distributed to, to the girls, and it will make a significant change in their lives. And so many women in our church help make those and put them together. I've contacted the international organization, and we're trying to start a micro-enterprise in Ethiopia so that the women that I just talked about there can make these uh, in Ethiopia and uh, provide an ongoing sustaining uh, or filling a need there and also generating a little income. So thank you, Wyzetta, for helping us as we partner with these two organizations. Oh. Yeah, I'm sure. Humility, a life of humility in the kingdom. So just imagine what it would be like to be in a place where everybody is on guard, on the lookout for the lonely or rejected where everybody just makes that person feel like the guest of honor. That banquet in Luke 14, everybody's prized. People are struck with awe, wonder, of the beauty of every person they see. As I um, was doing my study of the uh, person of Jesus and the kingdom, um, this took form for me in my late 20s. Because what I saw as I read the first chapter of Mark all the way up uh, to the second chapter of Mark, I just saw Jesus' heart and his heart was a heart, is a heart of compassion. Compassion for other people. If you want to look um, at 
his ministry, how his ministry starts, just read Mark chapter 1. Um, it's compassion. And I began in my 30s to pray, Jesus, make my heart like your heart. Break my heart for other people. Fill me with your compassion. The other bright spot I mentioned, I had two. Uh, last weekend, I had the privilege, Phil invited me to go on the high school retreat. And the topic that we were talking about was uh, justice around the world. And it was deep stuff, it was heavy stuff, it was um, painful stuff, but you'd be real proud of our high school, you should be real proud of our high school students because they stepped into it, it was all high school led, they organized everything, they had a simulation where uh, there was a brick factory and they talked about injustice and tried to put a face on it. And then we actually did real case studies of real people. We met a woman from Southeast Asia, uh, Prima, who had been tricked by one of her friends, drugged, woke up in a brothel, sold into slavery. We met uh, a woman in Gertrude, named Gertrude in uh, Uganda, who her husband had died, she'd become widowed. And what happened, the brother-in-law came in and stole land. And these are just one example after one example. But our high school students with open hearts just rushed into it um, with humility, with compassion. And what are they doing now? As a response, they're going to partner with IGM, uh, International Justice Mission. They're going to raise $6,500 on their own through work and some of their friends, and that's enough money to fund a rescue. That's our high school students. Yep. So the kingdoms of this earth, do they offer a lot of good news for the poor, for those that can't protect themselves, for the unprotected, for the young, for the unattractive, for the undereducated? Is there good news for people without power in the kingdoms of this earth? No. If you've ever been sad when you woke up and read your news feed, if you've ever wept when you looked at the face of a hungry child, if your blood ever boiled when you heard a story of injustice, then you know, you know what it's like to long for the kingdom of God. You look at the heart of Jesus, he just exudes compassion. And this wonderful Jesus, our Jesus, had a plan, has a plan. And he tells us that this is our plan too. How do we have the kingdom of God come and break into this world, break these earthly kingdoms, break bondage? He taught his followers how to pray a prayer. Matthew 6, 9. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And what's the next line? Your kingdom come. You have to understand when we're talking about language and when it seems like it's up and down, it's not spatial, it's spiritual. Jesus is talking about having God's kingdom come down here on earth. That's his plan. That's what he devoted his life to. That's what he calls us, his followers, to devote our lives to. Heavenly Father, bring your kingdom down here right now to my office, to my family, to my county, to my neighborhood, to my country, to this church. Are we praying that? Are we praying that? Our Father, bring your kingdom here. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a bigger question. Do you believe that that's really a, possibil a possibility? Do you believe that that could be a reality, that God's kingdom can be established on this earth? The gospel, the kingdom, is one of compassion. Dick, 
we've met the Orthodox priests. You tell us about the priests that you're partnering with, um, their compassion, their hearts for those that don't know Christ, how they're risking for the kingdom of God, and the miraculous work that uh, God is doing through them. A great story about compassion of some men. Yeah, but let me just say very quickly, I love what International Justice Mission does. <clears throat> I've been to a number of their presentations, um, and I am so proud of our high school kids that uh, it has grabbed their heart and they've responded in such a tangible, tangible way. And so I just want to echo the fact that we have a great group of, of high school kids who have um, uh, really decided at an early age to enter into um, the kingdom of God and do something right where they are. I know God's heart also breaks as he sees the injustice of sex trafficking and human slavery. But his heart also breaks for another kind of slavery and bondage. We read in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He's talking about spiritual slavery and spiritual bondage. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross to free us from that slavery. So let me tell you a really quick story about the Ethiopian Orthodox Church uh, in, uh, in, the, in the country of Ethiopia. This is just one example of, of the church, and um, they, oh, they wield great power. They have status. They have wealth. They have between 45 and 50 million people that they shepherd in their churches every week. The compassion piece of this story begins with a group of Orthodox priests who are quietly and forcefully rebelling against practices in the church which keep power in the hands of the religious elite and very often keep their own members from a true personal relationship with Jesus Christ. As part of this rebellion and an attempt to reform the church, they've come to Community Bible Study International. They've asked for training and materials, and we've given it to them. They've gone back to their areas, their rural areas sometimes, where they where they reach 30,000 people, and they've started underground uh, Bible studies. They have to do it in secret, because if they're found out, they would be excommunicated from the church. They would lose uh, everything, and so they're doing this in secret. These priests are followers of Christ. One of them told us he had been a priest for 17 years before he became a Christian. So serving in the Orthodox Church, which is considered a Christian church, he was leading a flock of thousands, and he didn't know Christ in a personal way. These men could walk away from the church, but this is the compassion part. They could start their own church in relative comfort, but because their lives have been transformed... And because of the compassion in their heart, they have chosen to stay and to fight for the spiritual lives of those that have been put under their shepherding. They've decided to do everything they can to bring others to Christ within the church, even at their own, uh, the risk of their own well-being. We met with 10 of these priests. And again, we had to meet in secret. Uh, Sir, if you show the picture, uh, they're very, in the city, they're very ornate and dressed in uh, um, robes and, and even a crown. They carry a scepter. In the rural areas, not quite so much, but they had to take everything off in order to come and meet with us for fear that somebody would see them coming to the place that we were meeting. They also asked if our driver would drop us off a couple blocks away from where we were meeting so that the driver, who they didn't know, 
would not know where we were meeting again for their own safety. I have two uh, very short videos, about a minute and a half altogether, uh, that shows just a little bit of the meeting, just to give you a flavor and to uh, show you who they are. And if you just run those, Sarah. Yeah. Mm. What he's saying is, you know, many, many uh, leaders in the uh, monasteries, uh, many temple, in the monasteries, and the different places expressed their willingness. You know, once we got those leaders, it is very easy to reach the people. Because in Orthodox culture, you know, if you want to reach the people, if you want to reach the people, you have to reach the leader. Yes. So he's saying that many leaders already shown their willingness to work with these guys. So what he's saying is, we are praying that God would provide resources, you know, to bring those leaders. But Mr. Srastas, I mean, no. The committee members are five. Yeah. Five of the committee members are leading this group. Yes. And he's mentioning that, you know, most of the people are not here today due to some reasons. But there are several people led by these five people. Yes. You know, even though we don't have money, we, have, we do have a vision. Yes. So because we do have a vision, and we, he is saying that I think it may not stop, it will continue. I, just so you know, I asked these men if it was okay if we took their pictures and their video, and we're just using it for this purpose. Five of them did not want to be on, on film, and again, for their own safety. They, uh, the priest can marry, and they have families, and this uh, young younger priest had this, his daughter with him, and again, I just tell you, these men, out of the compassion of their heart, are willing to risk everything, even the safety of their themselves, and... Uh, uh, perhaps the well-being of their families to stay in a place where they can reach others for Jesus Christ. Their needs are for Bibles for those who are uh, entering Bible studies and also for training for them and their, and their wives. And I left that room. I looked them in the eyes and said, I will not leave this room and go back home without telling everybody I possibly can about what you are doing and trying to support what you are doing out of the compassion of your heart. That the self and Jesus in the kingdom. Ultimately, this is what Jesus preached. This is what he gave his life for to usher in the kingdom. He gave his life for you, for me. So the question before us this morning is, what does it look like for you and me as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ? How do we die so that others might live? How do we usher in the kingdom for others? I've been thinking about our church and if we prayed this all together if you're a small group leader here this morning do you think as you meet once or twice a month what do you think you're doing you are gathering a group of kingdom builders a group of kingdom collaborators and just how cool would it be if we had all our small groups all our authentic small groups in accountability relationships praying this one prayer this season, during this entire season. Your kingdom come into all our little worlds. What would happen? You know, we talk about how 
the hope for the world is the local church. This is exactly what we're talking about. There's a reason for this. It's God's plan to extend his kingdom. And it all started with Jesus. The examples in Ethiopia are great. Dick, tell us how the um, kingdom is coming to Ethiopia. Tell us about how they are living a life of self-sacrifice in the Bible studies. One of the main things I do in in Ethiopia is uh, work with Community Bible Study International. We start uh, Bible studies with uh, studies that have been translated into their own language. They're having a tremendous impact. And I'm just going to tell one very quick story just because our time is running a little bit short. We've started over 1,500 Bible studies, and each one of them have stories. But there's one, uh, uh, we talked to very large groups, but this one in particular I met with... um, just recently, they meet in a, in a beauty shop in, in Addis Ababa. They're just normal people like you and I. They're not, they're not church professionals. Um, they're not missionaries. They're just like you and I. And they've been studying the Bible together for two years, and they got to the point where they said, we can't just sit here and study the Bible and not do something as a result of it. And that became such a compelling driving force that they needed to do something as a group. And so they went out into the streets of Addis Ababa, some of the dirtiest and even dangerous places in Addis, looking for uh, street kids. And they would bring street kids in and give them a meal and, and, and just share whatever they were open to about Jesus. Just, or just tell them, here's a meal in the name of Jesus. So they've, they stepped out of their comfort zone. And I wanted to share this story because we're not talking about giving up your life. We could talk about the martyrs around the world, and there are many who are facing horrible deaths because they are believers. I'm just talking about people, as George has been talking about, dying to self just simply means giving of yourself beyond who you are. This whole group of people, as a result of God's word in their life, went out into a very difficult, dirty, messy place and brought just a bit of the kingdom of God to these street kids. There are dozens and dozens of stories, but that's just one example of how regular people studying the Bible will step out and basically declare death to self to give to someone else. Thank you, Dick. You know, uh, there's one more stool. I've invited uh, Tina. She sits on our local and global outreach. Um, And I wanted to hear your story because you have great heart. Um, God's been working in her life in the last couple years, and some of you... You may be hearing um, God's call this morning uh, as you uh, work through things. Um, Sometimes there can be hesitation. Sometimes there can be doubt. Uh, And if you're like me and you're a problem solver like me, you just, if you ignore the problem long enough, eventually it'll go away. So maybe some of you are doing that as you feel God's call. If I just ignore it, um, it'll go away. But I just want you to share your heart um, and as we have a chance to respond. Uh, kind of wrap everything up, the conclusion, everything's resting on you. Don't mess it up, okay? All right. Good, it's all good. Um, well, there's something really incredible about having the stories that are shared up here um, be ones that I can personally relate to, um, to not only hear how God is working in Ethiopia and around the world, but to have experienced that myself. So um, as I share my story, kind of uh, answering George's question, I'm going to back up a little bit and share how God has really worked on my heart and changed my heart over the years. 
Because admittedly, um, I have sat in these pews for years on Global Outreach Sunday, and I thought it was good, and it was interesting, and it was fascinating, but it was kind of out there. Um, I wasn't really sure what to do with that myself. But then things changed. Um, Looking back, it was about 2013 that I was really feeling God kind of nudging me, beckoning me to go a lot deeper in my understanding of Him, and then what to do with that understanding. Um, And I needed a lot of direction in that. Um, He was really nudging me to go outside of my comfort zone, but where and how. So I started praying some big prayers, um, asking God to help me see through his eyes and with his heart for others. And again, I needed that direction. And ideally, a neon billboard with a lot of action steps would be great. Um, Anyone else might relate to that. I didn't get a billboard um, in neon, but God did work in some pretty direct ways in the following months. In late 2013, I got acquainted with Dick, and we started working together on our faith-based Couch to 5K program, which is awesome, by the way, so watch for that in the spring. Shameless plug. Um, But through that partnership, I got to hear about Dick's personal experience in the mission field, um, especially in Mongolia, and what was at the time a relatively new calling in Ethiopia. So to get that one-on-one experience with him was really eye-opening. And the more he shared his heart and his passion, the more... And the more I learned about Ethiopia, the more my heart grew and started to stir, and I knew that God was up to something. It wasn't feeling so out there anymore. But still, Ethiopia, really, God, are you sure? Um, He was sure. From about 2014 through the time we went to Ethiopia last fall, uh, Ethiopia popped into my radar at every turn. If I read a book, it was in Ethiopia. Um, or if it was a nonfiction book, it had some story related to Ethiopia. Blog posts that I'd pull up would be about ministry experiences or ministries started out of experiences in Ethiopia or people adopting from Ethiopia. I ordered a fair trade box when you get the little surprise items from around the world, and my first one came from Ethiopia. My mailman was from Ethiopia. And so we would talk when he would bring the mail. I was excited about learning about his country, and he was excited to share it with me and help me with the language. A couple of weeks ago, my husband and I were in Tennessee, and our cab driver was from Ethiopia. So God is still keeping me on my toes. So I was getting the message. Also, during the time prior to our trip, I got the chance to email um, and communicate with Tedesi Emeritet, whom Dick had mentioned before. And just even via email, um, I could hear their hearts and their passion for loving their community and sharing Christ with other people. And I just, it was something that um, I just wanted to be a part of. So when the opportunity became a reality, I said yes. And while it was a full-hearted yes, um, it didn't come without a little fear and a little doubt and wondering why me. I was going to leave my husband and three kids for 10 days and go to a third world country where I didn't really know exactly what we were going to be doing. And I'd never done something like this before. So despite a whole lot of clarity in some ways, there were still some unknowns. And it wasn't necessarily safe or easy, and it didn't always make sense when I shared it with people. But I trusted God and listened to that little, still, small voice inside that said, this is what you prayed for, and here's your answer. And I took a giant step, or maybe a leap, and uh, stepped out of my comfort zone and into his plan. So needless to say, it was a life-changing experience. You've heard some of the stories, and there's plenty more, and I would love to go back. Um, But in the meantime, I have the joy and privilege of being able to communicate with the people that we've met with 
over there um, almost on a weekly basis. And so we get to pray together and encourage each other and do life together. People who live on the other side of the globe, um, I feel like I've known them for years, and that's incredible. So in many ways, this is about how answering God's call allowed me to be part of bringing the kingdom to Ethiopia. Um, And there's still much that we can do there. But there's, in reflecting on this, what it what really occurred to me was how answering God's call and going to Ethiopia allowed me to bring the kingdom back here in new and deeper ways. Because the people there showed me and taught me about dependence on God, loving the least of these, living in faith, welcoming strangers with open arms, gratitude and joy despite dire circumstances, what sacrifice really looks like, compassion, humility, death to self. They were doing it. Their hunger for the gospel rocked my world. They changed my perspective. My lens through which I see people will never be the same. And they helped me understand the gospel in a way that I had never experienced before. And the thing is, these are all things that I can and should and want to actively practice and participate in right here every day. So I'm grateful to sit in the pew now on Global Outreach Sunday or any other Sunday with a very different perspective. But more than that, I'm grateful that through this experience, I have a deeper relationship with Christ and a bigger heart for those that he calls me to see and to serve. Thank you, Dick. Thank you, Tina. Thank you for sharing your hearts. We want to close uh, with prayer and just give you a response, a chance to respond. Uh, Maybe God is uh, speaking to you and he's been speaking to you for a while. We're just going to close uh, with prayer. This is your chance to pray that prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, pray that the kingdom come. And just uh, do some business with God for a couple minutes, and then I'll close the sermon, the message in prayer. Father, our Deliverer, our Redeemer, our Creator, our Savior, my Jesus, I pray for the global church, pray for Wazetta this morning as a church, as Wazetta, as your church, we pray, you're our Rescuer, you're our Redeemer. We pray for the end of slavery. We pray for the end of poverty. We pray for the end of broken relationship. God, you were well pleased to see your kingdom fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And through him, all things on heaven and earth were reconciled to you through his blood through the cross. This morning we pray with all our hearts. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.